We are planting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We got there in January. Uh, this has been a process. I am a uh, son of a church planter. So my dad planted a church a long time ago. So I grew up in this lifestyle. And about eight years ago, uh, when God basically told me I was being lazy by staying where I was at in ministry and uh, kind of you know, snaked me into saying, yes, I'm okay to lead a church. I said, but God, if you're going to call me to lead a church, I want to plant one. And uh, since that moment on, it's been a process. And kind of during that time, I got uh, to know Harvest. And as I was opening up God's word and just kind of seeing what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to plant a church? And I saw the network that my dad was a part of, and there were some good things and some things I didn't like. And I was kind of coming into my own convictions. And I saw Harvest. and I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of. And so God has had me and my family on this journey. I was on staff at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel Rockford for five years as a student outreach pastor. Has Dirk's preached here before? Yep. He has preached here before? Man, I was going to make fun of him that I got to preach in a pulpit. He hasn't, but uh, I can't do that anymore. Bummer. Um, but I was on staff there for a long time with the intention of going out and planting, um, and now we're there. If, if you can look at the picture, I have a beautiful bride, Ashley who is currently at a J.J. Heller concert with my daughter and one of my sons. Uh, we have four kids and we're pregnant with our fifth. So, so we're, we're, you can pray for us, okay? That baby's got, we have a very specific time. Our baby can come one of like three days, that's it. So uh, you can be praying for that. Uh, but we're, we're thankful for the opportunity. I say this, I've been able to preach to a lot of different harvests and church plants and things like that. I got to preach at Madison a couple months ago. Uh, but I love being able to tell you guys how impactful your church is on other church plants. Uh, I was able to tell that to Madison, and I preached at a harvest down in Texas, and able to tell their congregation. I know, Steve, you know, you've done a great job casting the vision of church planting and how big this is, and, and there's probably nobody else that does it better, but I'm going to tell you guys anyways. Uh, your church is a part of something so much bigger, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, you were able to uh, plant Harvest Madison. Dave's a really good friend of mine. A lot of you guys have gone down there and served down there. I call Dave on a regular basis. Dave, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I need your stuff. And I know a lot of what he got, he's gotten from you. And so you guys are impacting churches all over the place. And you're, you're doing a good work here in Rochester, but you're also uh, having ripple effects all the way down to Milwaukee and far beyond that. And so uh, we're, we're very appreciative for that. Um, I do want to say, uh, mothers, I'm very thankful for you. Without my mom, I wouldn't be here. Uh, I cracked that joke to my mom one time. And she didn't think it was that funny. Uh, but I do, I get, I get an up close and, and uh, personal uh, view of what it takes to be a mother watching my wife raise all of our kids. And that is, it is a God-given calling and a blessing, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit here in a sermon. But uh, this morning, we're going back to Genesis. And uh, this is a, a message from a series I did a while back called Vision Correction. And uh, Vision Correction, you know, as we look at our culture around us and the world around us, the world is getting farther and farther away from God's created order. It's not hard to see. You turn on Fox News or CNN, both of them drive me nuts, but you turn one of them on or you open up Twitter and you go through and you find your news source or you, know, you open up your magazine or newspaper if you're from that generation. It's not hard to see. You know, our world is getting farther and farther from God's created order. It's a, very, it's a very picture of Romans 1. And uh, when 
We get farther and farther away from God's created order. Things get blurrier and blurrier. We understand things less now than we ever have. We're trying to redefine things. We're trying to refigure out things, and it's not working very well. But the world and our culture continues to push us in that direction, and as Christians and followers of Jesus in a church, we have to continue to clarify our convictions. We have to put on the glasses of God's word and God's understanding and be able to stand on this and say, no, I see this clearly. I understand what's going on. And for a long time, you know, we were able to understand the what, you know, what we believe. We believe this, we believe this, we believe this. But the more that our culture gets and the blurrier it gets, the more we have to understand the why as well. Because if we understand the what and someone goes after the why, we're in trouble. And so there are a lot of issues that we have to go back to and shore up and understand why God created it this way and why we live like this. And so today, we're talking about personhood. We're talking about personhood. What does it mean to be a personhood? Well, the Webster's Dictionary is that personhood is the condition of being an individual. And it's like, well, that's pretty simple, right? You'd think. But the more that we do get away from God's created order, the more that this understanding of what a person is, uh, the harder it is to really define that. I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day and they were making an argument or somebody in the news that they were engaging with was making the argument that someday AI was gonna be, have to be considered a person. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And this understanding of what a person is defines how we treat the world around us. And as Christians, we have to go back and look at how God created people to understand personhood. Because it does define a lot more than we ever thought, and it will continue to define more than we ever thought. The big idea for this message today is, in our blurred culture today, your understanding of a person and how you treat a person has to come from a conviction of God. It has to come from a conviction and understanding of God. Now, we're open up, we're gonna be in Genesis one through three, mostly kind of bouncing around a little bit, looking at scripture, but you know, when you wanna figure out why something is there, you gotta go back to the beginning. You gotta go back, that's why they have all these dumb origins. You guys like the origin movies before they really get to the good movies? Like you gotta watch Iron Man 1 before you get to Infinity Wars, all right? So I guess they're not dumb, but we, I, I just wanted to get to Infinity Wars. But you gotta go back, if you wanna understand what's going back, you have to go back to the beginning. So open up to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we're gonna read verses 26 and 27, and uh, this is some of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Uh, because it gives us a ton of information, and I use it all the time. If this is not underlined in your Bible, it should be. If you haven't read commentaries or study notes on this or haven't done your own personal study on this, I would say in the next couple weeks, go home and devour this and really get a firm foundation. But this is what God says. Starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, let us, okay, I'm going to stop right there, uh, if you want an argument for the Trinity, just circle that us right there. That's at the very beginning. Just remember that. I'm not going to come back to that, but that's just a, that's like an extra side note. But it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see a theme there? Something's repeated quite a few times. That brings us to the first point. The first point is that we are not God, but we are God-like. We are not God, but we are God-like. Right away in Genesis 1, he tells us that we are, he says, let us make man in our image. That word is mago dei. The word they repeat many times, let us make man in our, in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. That word, imago Dei, meaning in the image of God, it's kind of like a shadow of something or a statue of something, a representation. That was... Um, I was at the hotel this morning with two of my boys. I brought my two middle sons uh, here, Mike and Elian. They're, oh, I don't know, five, six. They're six and almost five. Um, you get to have five kids, you kind of, you get a little more grace on ages and things like that. I'm learning these things. But uh, I was talking to them this morning and they were asking me what I was preaching on and I was telling them I'm preaching on the image of God and kind of trying to explain it to them. And, uh, and so I asked them, I said, like, do you understand what that means? Well, no, not really, Dad. It's kind of like this. What is an image of Batman supposed to represent? Oh, it's Batman, Dad. And I real quick scrolled through and found the, the, the big statue of uh, Superman from the Superman movies you know, that they put up. What's this statue of? Dad, that's Superman. So I was like, so the Batman's supposed to represent Batman and Superman's supposed to represent Superman? Yeah, but what if I told you that Superman was Batman? No, Dad, that, that's Batman and that's Superman. Why? Because those images represent a person. They represent a thing. When you look at a statue or a painting of somebody or a picture of somebody that is representing that person, you don't go before a statue of Superman and give him a high five. You say, hey, that represents Superman. I want to go give him a high five. He's not really real, but my two-year-old thinks he is. But we are created in the image of God. We are not statues. We are living, breathing, reproducing, having dominion over image bearers. We represent the image of God. When somebody looks at one of us, they shouldn't see Jesse, they should see an image of God. I'm an image bearer. That's my job, that's who I am, that's where I get my value. I am not God, but I am God-like. Why? Because I'm created to represent God. God filled the earth with his image. And he did it so that we can't get glory ourselves, but we can display the glory of God. We're like a, a mirror that takes God's glory and reflects it to God's world. And then when the world gives glory back, we reflect it back up to God. We are representing God to this world and giving him glory back. That's what we do. We're image bearers. We are God's highest created order on earth. That's why he says that we have dominion. He tells them, let, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. We are called to steward God's creation for God's glory as God's image bearers. And this is what makes us distinct. 
And living out our, God likes, our, our God's likeness is our greatest fulfillment. Our culture and our world today, you know, so often we try to figure out who we are and how to have the most pleasure by figuring it out what's best for me, what's the most fun for me. How do I bring myself the most glory and honor? And that doesn't work. It just leaves us empty and hopeless. But when we embrace this understanding that we are made in, the God, in God's image and that our calling is to be a living, breathing statue for the glory of God and to reflect God's image, and I embrace that, that's where the fullness of joy comes from. Because I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. I'm being an image bearer. We were created with a purpose. You know, he goes on in uh, chapter, tw- or chapter two and he gives us a little bit bigger picture. He goes on, he says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man would be alone or should be alone. Ha, I couldn't agree more. He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, or closed, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now right away from the beginning, we see roles defined and we see jobs given out and we see purpose. You know, God created both men and women with a purpose. He said he created male and female. He created us to glorify him, to reflect him. He created men to be men, women to be women. He created us to have roles. And and you see, what we need to do is understand this, that God created you with a very specific role to bear his image. You are not God, but you are to be God-like. You are to take the aspects that God is giving you and use them for God's glory. That's why we honor mothers. That's why we have Mother's Day, because God has instilled in women a nurturing and caring heart that is an aspect of God that I will never be able to bear. But moms and women in general, you have something that we don't. And fellas, God has called you to lead. God has called you to bear an image in a different way and God calls us to come together and to reflect him. And that's why in family, we reflect God better than individuals. As a church, we reflect God better than individuals. We come together because we all have roles that God has given us to reflect his image and we're supposed to embrace that. And when we start to understand we are created in God's image, I am God's image bearer, you start to get a purpose. But here's the thing. This also gives us our value. Our value comes from being made in God's image. And we need to embrace that. And you know, it takes one step at a time. And 
we don't just do this to ourselves, but we also have to understand everybody else in light of this. My value comes from the fact that I'm made in God's image and that annoying neighbor across the fence that you can't stand because he never mows his lawn and doesn't throw his trash out the right, he's also made in God's image. The person who works in the cubicle down from you that uh, doesn't always uh, have the stature standing that you do that doesn't get the respect that they deserve because they don't really do their job very well and they're maybe not the most socially adept that they get made fun of a decent amount when they're not standing there and sometimes when they are standing there. Yeah, they're, they're made in God's image as well. See, we bestow value on people not because of what they do or what they can do or can't do. No, they're, they're God's image bearers. They reflect God's glory. That's the highest honor and value that we have. We are not God, but we are God-like. We have to understand that. But this leads us to the second point, because here's the thing. Because of sin, this has become impossible. This has become impossible. And our understanding has been blurred, and we've started to confuse being God-like with being God. We cannot... We cannot confuse being God-like with being God. Look at Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now this is one of the saddest parts of all of scripture, probably second only to the point where Jesus actually dies on the cross. At this moment, they had been living in perfection, doing exactly what God had been doing and living in perfect, a perfect relationship with the Lord himself and displaying God's image in a way that you and I will never be able to do until eternity. And Satan comes along. He tells them the greatest lie that we have believed from this moment on. You see, they traded the value of being godlike for the emptiness of being the God of self. They traded their understanding hey, we are made in God's image, we are made to reflect God, but instead we want to be like God, or we want to be God. So when Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate it, they gave up their value, they gave up their role, and they said, no, we're going to be God of self. And that has been the life of every human being from that moment. It's been a battle 
of being image bearers and bearing our own image. When our vision became blurred and our God-likeness turned into being God. When self becomes the most important thing, our job of governing the rest of God's creation turns into seeing his creation as something that is a disposal for our needs. And this is where we get all of our problems with personhood because we no longer see our role that God has given us to reflect God's glory and take care of God's creation. But instead we start to look at creation and see what it can feed me and what it can give me and how it can give me glory. And that's where we start to get every evil thing that we do to one another. That's where things like abortion comes from. This is why we take, we take such a hard line on abortion. Why? Because we believe that even in the womb, that person is created in the image of God. And you see, we have become God of our bodies to the point of killing an unwanted life. You know, Psalms 139, 13 says that we are knit together in the womb by God. Okay? And we value that. We value that uh, my wife and I have had several miscarriages in between several of our kids and we're involved in a ministry that ministers to women who have had infant loss and uh, you know, we are teaching women and men how to grieve the loss of a miscarriage. Why? Because our world doesn't understand that and we wanna teach personhood, that is a person. God created that person in his image in the womb and we want to value that. But our world throws that out. So we take a hard stance on abortion. You know, and we need to understand that this is a distortion of God's likeness. And we need to speak truth, but we need to speak it in love. Things like racism. There's things like racism. This happens has happened from the very start of time. Any, anytime someone uses a God-likeness to give himself the authority over another person there to hurt another person, this is a sinful act. You know, when you look at our culture and, and racism and, 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 you know, I was talking about, again, I was talking about this with my boys this morning and just asking if they've seen some of these things. And it just blows my mind how even as a six-year-old, they, they're starting to pick up on these things. How one person values themselves over another person. Why? Because they have traded in their being God-like for being God. You know, in, in uh, sexism, okay, that's another big one that's happening right now. Okay, you, again, just flip on the news and you'll see this. You know, fellas, we're complementarians, but we're not misogynists. Okay, we believe that God has created us to lead and God has given us a role, but that doesn't mean we disvalue anyone or anything. You know, every person in every room is created in the image of God. We don't wield our own authority. We only wield what God has given us. We're fulfilling the role that God has put in front of us. God made every person in God's likeness. And if you are ever in a room where you feel superior because you're a male, that's sinful. And we're called to love and care and lead in a way that brings God glory, not ourselves, Ladies, you know, the goal is not to give all things equal. We're very different. 
The goal is to value the things that God has given you and lift those up and hold those in honor. Um, have you guys ever read any of Eric Metesky's books? He's, he's written a lot of uh, biographies. They're really good. Uh, I'm reading, I read the one on Martin Luther. I'm currently reading the one on Eric Bonhoeffer. But my wife read uh, the one on seven women. And I love his description of why he chose the seven women that he did. He says this. And he's a biography, a lot of um, women who've done amazing things for the, for the Lord. And I love what he says. He says, when I considered the seven women I chose... I see that most of them were great for reasons that derive precisely from their being a woman, not in spite of it. And what made them great has nothing to do with their being measured against or competing with men. In other words, their accomplishments are not a gender neutral, but rooted in their singularity as women. All of them existed and thrived as women and stand quite apart from anything touching the kind of thinking I have encountered. And that's what we want to value. We want men and women are very different and we want to value both of those things and not look down upon one of them. You know, I like to tell people, because uh, I, I have this conversation often, and they say, well, we want a seat at the table. I was talking to a, a, a lady in our small group or our core group and and I said, that's great. You deserve a seat at the table. But what we want is we don't want you to take a seat of a man. We want you to bring the seat of a woman in so you bring a perspective that we don't have. And you see, when we come together on these things and are embracing the roles that God has given us and elevating the blessings that God has given each person and valuing every person, that becomes a sweet table to sit at. And so we want to value one another, not fight with one another. God created man and female, and each gender reflects God in its own way. And we want to do that. But anytime that we trade in our God likeness for being God, we blur that image. Another way that we see this coming out is in bullying or demeaning. And right now, it's on full display in all of our politics. We no longer debate issues, we just mock the person across the table from us. We no longer deal with uh, arguments, we just find ways to discredit each other by devaluing each other. Uh, I cannot tell you how frustrating this is. I, um, I actually preached this message in Rockford during uh, the 2016 uh, politics. Let's just say I went off for a little while on that whole... <laughs> season, but it's on full display, okay? Anytime we go and we discuss an issue and we have a disagreement with one another, it's no longer just a disagreement. We go after that person's value and character. We can't do that. We can't do that. We have no right to devalue anyone. And we do it so often. when we disagree with somebody, when somebody's not quite to the same social standard that we are, or when someone is above what we consider our social standard. A lot of times we'll walk into a room and meet somebody for the first time and we're immediately judging their value based upon what we see and hear, not by the fact that they are created in the image of God. We need to work hard at seeing God's image as God's image 
and knowing how God's image is supposed to act. You see, as Christians, we should be the first people to value other people for the fact that they are valued by God. We should be winning every war when it comes to valuing people. Nobody should come even close. I'm going to tell you right now, there are some things in our culture today that the culture is getting completely wrong and is messed up. You know, that's why we talk about abortion. That's why we have to deal with that because that's something that our culture has very wrong. But there are other aspects of our culture that they're doing really well. They're, they're valuing and trying to, uh, uh, to get, you know, get rid of this misogynistic attitude. You know, they're doing well in bringing to light something that we haven't done very well at. And as Christians, we don't get the option to pick and choose. We have to understand that every person is made in the image of God, and if we're not valuing every person in the image of God, we're becoming God. And so we've got to work hard at it. And here's the thing, Christ died for this. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they took the bite of that apple and they chose to become God-like themselves or trade in their God-likeness and become their own God, from that moment on, all of us were bound by our sin. We could know nothing else other than being our own God until the point when Jesus came back and after we jacked it all up, he saved us. And he took us from the pit of hell and gave us eternity in heaven. And he took and said, listen, your value that you're trying to find can now be found in me perfectly because God no longer sees your sins. He sees my perfect life. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you claim the cross, we have been taken, we've taken or the, 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 the value of sin that has been placed on us is gone and the value of Jesus has been placed on us and so we should be the first to value other people. But we do this by knowing God. You see, that brings us to our last point. We need to know God to know how to value personhood. We need to know God because see, if we are created in the image of God and we're created to reflect the glory of God, we have to understand God. And when we understand God and who God is and what God likes, it gives us value and purpose and us meaning and it gives us the ability to understand how we're supposed to live, but also gives us the understanding of how we're supposed to treat others. Here are six ways that we reflect God. You can even open back up and go back to Genesis 1. Okay, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. God is a creator. God likes to create things. God took nothing and made everything. And we are able, you know, I was driving uh, through La Crosse and Winona last night at about seven o'clock with my boys and we were looking at the bluffs and the cliffs and driving over the, the okay, I, I gotta ask this real quick. Do you guys really claim 10,000 lakes? You understand Wisconsin has more lakes than you, Right? You, you get there, right? And I, I, I understand, I do get Wisconsin like claims a muddy puddle as a lake and you guys don't, but, uh, okay. But you know, you go and you look at the, we, we see these 10,000 lakes and these hills and creation and we see God's glory on full display through his creation. God is a creator and so are we. From an artist to an engineer, we are creators, that should be valued. We should be growing that in ourselves and in our kids and other people. We want to value people's creative skills wherever they fall because God is a God of creation and we should be growing that in us 
but also other people. Give, you want to value somebody? Give them the opportunity to create something. God's a God of communication. Look at verse three. And God said, let there be light. He spoke it. See the quotations in there? I don't know if you remember second grade English, but that typically means verbal communication. God is a God who communicates. God spoke words and creation came to be. God has been speaking to us from the very beginning of time. God has given us his word and God has spoken through the the priests and the prophets and God spoke through his son. Now God is speaking through his word. God is a God who likes to communicate and we like to communicate. We like to have conversation. We like to, you know, I mean, just go look at your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed or Facebook feed. Everybody likes to display their uh, personal opinion. Why? Because we like to communicate. We were created with this God likeness. And again, that is a value that God's put on us. We desire to communicate. That's not a bad thing. Okay, you want to give someone value? Go talk to them. Let them share their story. Don't just tell them about your story. Ask them good questions. Find out how they got to be, though, how they got to be. You want to give somebody value, ask them what they value and let them talk. God's a God who communicates. God's a God who's intelligent. Okay, this one's from, uh, you can go look this one up later on, but it's from John 1 1. It says, In the beginning was the word. Okay, that word that we use in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was. Okay, that word, logos, in Greek actually means reason or logic. There's another form of that word, mean understanding. And so when God was creating, he was saying, you know, yes, God created the, the word and God created, and the word was with God, and the word was God, referring to Jesus. But it also shows us that it was an intelligent Jesus. It was a logical, that God himself is intelligent or reasoning. It's a great word study. I suggest you go home and do it. Don't just take my word for it. But it shows us that God himself is an intelligent God with an intelligent creation and we should be in valuing intelligence in a created order, in a system. You know, God created men and women in a created order for a created purpose. God created sexuality. God created, um, you know, I'm trying to think of all like the different issues that we have, but all of the different issues that our culture is dealing with today, God created in a very specific way, in a specific order. And so we need to go back and look at those things. You need to study why we get to where we've gotten, why God has said these things, because there is a very good order for everything that God has done, and we need to grow in our knowledge of those things. Because God is a God of intelligence. God is a God of relationship. Okay, you know, again, in verse 26 and 27, he says, God, or he said, let us make man in our image. Okay, again, referring to the Trinity. God is a God who is in perfect community all the time. God desires relationship within and of himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God created us with a desire for relationship, a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. And we see it again in God's created order. God created us with a desire to have a relationship with him, a desire to have a relationship with a spouse, a desire to have a relationship with family, a desire to have a relationship with a church, a desire to have a relationship with friends and community. All of these things are created by God and part of who God is and is part of our God-likeness. You want to value somebody? 
Build a relationship with them. Build a relationship with them is not, in not a way where you just get from it, but where you are giving to it. Get to know, have people over for dinner, open up your house. Bring people home after work, get them to know your family. God's a relational God. And lastly, God's a moral God. And we see that right away from the very beginning. God told them, don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of this tree. And from that moment on, we've been able to see God's morality. And God has revealed that in his word over and over and over again. And he laid that on our hearts as well. And we need to be working hard at understanding God's morality and living in a way that reflects that and helping other people see that. That when we live in a certain way, way it is because God has ordained this and this is the best way to live, not because I hate somebody or dislike somebody, no, because God created this and this is the best way for us to flourish and you have to know and I have to know those things because we are created not God's image and we're supposed to reflect those things. We need to value all lives in all way because every person is made in God's image. From yourself, you need to understand your value doesn't come from your job, doesn't come from your spouse, doesn't come from your kids, doesn't come from your social status, doesn't come from your achievements. It comes from God. Your value comes from you being created in the image of God, but then everybody else around you, their value comes from being created in the image of God. We don't display value to people because of what they've done, but because of what God has done. And that has to infiltrate every aspect of our life. And we as Christians, we need to be looking out for the marginalized. You need to be looking out for those people who are devalued. We should be doing this better than any other person. We have no longer traded in our God-likeness for being God, but we are embracing our God-likeness and bestowing that on every other person. Do you regularly look for the marginalized? Do you just go after the people to your same social standard? Does your friend group or your, your peer group look different than you? Because it should. You should have people with different opinions and values all over the place. You should be valuing other people's image-bearing abilities. And we need to continually check our heart. Is our God-likeness becoming our God? Do we look down on people? Do we need to change this? Do you, do you devalue people because of stupid things? I'll tell you what. This takes a lot of work. This takes a lot of work. There's so much. The more I've, I've preached this message, the more I've dug into this, God has revealed to me in so many different ways where I devalue people that I never understood I did. And every time I've studied this passage and preached this message, I've had to go back and apologize more and more and more because God continues to reveal areas of my heart where I make myself God and devalue other people because of it. And even as a the band, they're gonna come down, we're gonna do one more song. But even as uh, we're singing and, and lifting high the name of Jesus in worship, I want you to search your heart and I want you to dig down deep and say, Lord, reveal in me the ways that I devalue people. 
Lord, reveal in me ways that I need to go and apologize, but then also show me opportunities where I can go out and actively value other people so that I can display your image to this world. And as the rest of the world gets blurrier and blurrier, I want to become more crystal clear in the things that you have given us. So even now, just take time as we're singing this last song to pray, go before the throne and ask God to reveal these things to you. And as you go home, Go to those people immediately and say, Lord, and say, I, you know, I, I sinned against you. Please forgive me and then figure out ways to go in value. God, we come before you this morning and God, we thank you that you have created us in a very specific way, in a very uh, specific roles. And God, you allow us to glorify you in all of this. And God, I pray that as Christians and as a church, we would be valuing people Uh, far better than our world. And God, that we would be crystal clear on what you have called us to do, uh, God, in a world of blurriness. God, even now as we're struggling through with this and checking our own heart, Lord, I pray that you would move in us and reveal in us areas that we are not doing well. That we would apologize and that we would go after. And God, that we would value people. Lord, we would learn who you are so that we know how to value others. God, we just thank you for this ability. And God, we thank you that you've bestowed upon us and you've given us this value. And God, let us use it well for your glory.